Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. So uh, I just want to get right into this. I got so much to cover. We got so much to cover this morning. We've not covered this much scripture in years. <laughs> For today, we're looking at like 40-something verses. It's crazy. <clears throat> yeah, that's a lot of scripture. And so we're going to dive into this. Um, so I got a question for you, all right? Uh, how many times has somebody ever asked you this question? Or how many times have you ever asked somebody this question? Has anybody ever asked you this question? Have you ever asked anybody this question? The question is simple. Here it is. Are you saved? Has anybody ever asked you that? Have you ever asked anybody that? All right, you know, and it's kind of that common question, all right? It kind of goes along with where if you were to die today, where would you go? Do you know where you'd end up? That kind of question, all right? But when we think about that question in church world, all right, it implies some things that we're kind of, we brought along with us that I don't know that, that you know, we just brought these things along with us. Like we think of, you know, accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. We say that term like, like, like you know, we, like we got it somewhere, all right? When, 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 when I don't see anywhere in the scriptures, does it refer to a personal Lord? Does he use the term personal Lord and Savior? Does he need to be personal? Yes. Is he our Lord? Yes. Is he our Savior? Yes. But I think we can trip people up with these phrases if we're not thinking right. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying we need to be thinking more. All right, you know, because, you know, uh, you, know, you know, God did come. He wanted your faith to be personal, but he came to save us. He didn't just came to save me or come to save you. He came to save us, we, the people, all right, his people for his glory, all right, in the name of Jesus Christ for his glory. He came to save us, all right? So yes, is it personal? Yes, but it's also very, 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 uh, you know, inclusive, we also think of this term, uh, this other phrase that goes around there, the sinner's prayer. You know, when we say, are you saved? What do you must, that means that you said the sinner's prayer. What is the sinner's prayer? I'm not bashing these things, all right? I'm just challenging us to think, all right? I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm not here to tell you how to think, but I am challenging you, man, to think about these things. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to be thinking of these things, all right? And when we challenge somebody with the sinner's prayer, and they were to ask us, well, where do you find it in the scriptures? We're going to have a hard time looking for it, because you're not going to find it, all right? It's very simple. The scriptures tell us anyone who cries out on the name of the Lord will be saved, amen? It says if you believe in your heart that, 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 that Christ was raised from the grave, and you confess him as Lord of your life, you'll be saved, right? That, that's, that's, that's the essence, but for some people, it wasn't good enough, so we created this big paragraph prayer, that we want people to pray. And I'm not quite sure how helpful that is sometimes. I'm not saying it's never helpful. I'm just saying we need to think about these things. We talk about, you know, when people are, are have you been saved, you know, are you saved? We think about, you know, in some cases, well, they must have came forward, come down the aisle. Here comes somebody right now down the aisle. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. And so, you know, we got it. I'm sorry, brother. It was perfect timing. I had to put you on blast. All right. <laughs> See, it challenges people whether or not they want to get up during the service, right? <laughs> so, um, 
But it, look at there we go. One's leaving, man. He's like, he's, I'm done with this. <laughs> it's going to get better, bro. I promise. Come on back. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, but we challenged them. when they came forward. They, 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 they answered an altar call, right? They answered the altar call. And I don't know if you know this, man, but altar calls haven't really been around that long. I mean, we've been a nation longer than there's been altar calls. I didn't know if you knew that. Or are they helpful? Probably. Are they of the devil? No. But I just challenge us to start thinking a little bit more. Let me challenge you with this. If you were to come up to the Apostle Paul or the Apostle James or the Apostle Peter and say, hey, if you were to die today, do you know that you'd go to heaven? I think he'd look at you pretty strange. If you were to ask him, or are you saved you know, for eternal glory? Are you sa-? you, know, I, you know, I think he would look at you kind of strange because, yeah, I know that I am, but wait a second. I, I think it would challenge you with something even back, even forward. He's looking at you know, I, I know where I'm going to go, but right now I'm not concerned with where I'm going. I'm, I'm more concerned about who I need to be. Fully formed, mature in Christ, right here, right now fully formed, mature in Christ right here, right now. I think Paul, I think the apostles, I even think Jesus Christ would challenge us to recognize that salvation is not your finish line. Your faith is not the finish line. And I see so many people, and we're gonna challenge this, so many times kind of relay this message like we're in. We're in. Yeah, you may be in, but now what? There is the life of a disciple. Amen? And so we're going to open up all this scripture, and there's a lot, all right? And uh, so I'm going to try to get through it pretty quick because literally we are going through about 40-something verses, and we're going, we're in the book of Luke, and we're going to challenge it this month a lot. I mean, this week, a lot of verses. Next week, we're going through a lot of verses. The week after, we're going to kind of slow it down a little bit. All right, but, but we, want to, we want you just kind of to bring you along. And so I, I want to tell you a story, this story that's in Luke. In Luke ch- chapter 1 and chapter 2 are pro- have stories in it that are unlike any other in the gospel. They're, they're so vivid. They're so detailed or detail-oriented. All right, and it creates such a clear picture that it's going to do us real well to kind of just go through this whole story. Right? And I want to challenge you as we're looking in the, in the vividness of this, of this picture that it's painting and the, and the detail that, yes, you're going to find Christ in the detail, but I also want you to take a look and find yourself because you're also in the detail. You're also in the story. As I want to challenge you with that. Um, this morning, we're going to go from verse five through 25, and then we're going to skip a chunk of verses that we're going to pick up next week as we continue this story that is kind of, there are two stories that are taking place here, and, and, but they're all one story, and so we're going to challenge you with this, and we're just going to get on with it. So Father, we give you the praise, and we give you the honor, and we give you the glory, Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord God, um, to not rush through your word, but also, Lord God, help us to just to be purposeful for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I probably should have took a drink of this before. So, again, a lot of verses. Going to kind of move quick and kind of not. 
see what I'm talking about. Luke chapter one, verse five begins like this. In the days of Herod, let's stop right there. All right? <laughs> okay, you're like, you're never gonna get through this. All right? But seriously, this is an important point. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, what we're being, what's being related to us is this happened during a real time. Just like right now is a real time for you. This happened, this really happened, and this was really a piece of history that took place. And I love the way that, that Luke writes, and you'll notice throughout the book of Luke, there'll be these references to what's happening currently, and it kind of helps us realize the time that this actually took place. Luke was, uh, is, is now today considered to be one of the greatest historians that ever lived and ever wrote any works of antiquity by scholars, by theologians, by non-Christian uh, 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 scholars and theologians, not theologians, but scholars and, and uh, what is, uh, uh, historians and, and people who work with antiquity, all that stuff. So in the days of King Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and, his, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. All right, so what is this telling us that this took place at a real time with real people. Again, just like right now, is so important for you. And just because, like right now, you are so important to right now. You are so important to right now, all right, that this is important for you to recognize that, that you know what, that, 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 that this is real time, real people, just as today is real time, real people. And so we get to join into this story. So 2,000 years ago, all right, before we have all the modern conveniences of the day, this was taking place and there was this couple, this priest, all right, who, is, who, who had a priestly lineage, his father and his father's father and his father's father, and his wife was of the Levitical priesthood as well, all right, her father and her father's father and her father. They were all, they were descendants, all right, and had a family line, a pedigree, if you will, all right, that, that was one of, of serving the Lord throughout history. Over a thousand years of history. She dates all the way back to Aaron, who was Moses' brother. All right, this is important. You see, some of us, we have that type of pedigree. I better move on, all right? We have that type. We do. We have things that have been handed down. Others, we don't have anything that was handed down when it comes to faith. And we're going to challenge this in a minute because maybe it's time, not maybe, definitely it is time for you to start handing it down. As they were, and it says, and they were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were well, were advanced in years. So they were an older couple and they couldn't have babies. You see, and back in this time, it was, it was you know, people were considered stricken by God if you couldn't have a kid. And we know today that's not the case. But that's what it was felt like. And it was crazy because I look at, I look at their faith right here because it says that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly and in the commandments, yet they knew that underlying that they were kind of looked at kind of sideways by the community. And yet they kept their faith. They kept walking strong in their faith. That's because they weren't finished with their faith. All right? Faith wasn't the finish line for them. They continued to trust the Lord. They continued to serve the Lord. They continued to recognize that God is God no matter what the circumstances 
that are taking place. And it says in verse eight, now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, what is taking place right there, all right, the temple was in Jerusalem. They lived in the hill country of Judea, all right? They lived a few miles away from, from Jerusalem, probably had a nice little place, all right? But they would come, he was a priest, so he would serve at the temple, all right, and it is said at this time that there was approximately 18,000 priests that were actually working in the temple. And they all had different jobs, different jobs, you know, but every once in a while, they would, they would uh, every, every, every once in a while, every day actually, uh, they would cast lots, basically an equivalent to maybe drawing straws or whatever with 18,000 straws. That's kind of crazy. All right, but, 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 uh, to see who would, who would offer the morning sacrifice and then, and then who would see who would offer the evening sacrifice. And what would take place, it was crazy, it was early in the morning, all right, they'd start preparing things. And then about at a certain time, there would be this, everything is prepared, they'd hear this gong take place, right? And then hundreds of people in the community would recognize because the Jews were very, were very, very devout in their faith. They were, they were very, they were a community of people that said, you know, this is why, you know, we, we, where we get, you know, when you get to find these old towns, really, really old towns, right in the center of town, what are you gonna find? Anybody know? A church. These old towns that are built, one of the first things they build is because they, they, you know, is a church because they want the community to be about, about this, all right? And so all the, the town would come and they would, they would come before the temple and they would recognize that this is getting ready to take place. And there would be the priest who was gonna offer the incense and then there was, whoa, that almost came out wrong, all right? And the priest and the two priests that were gonna, there were two other priests that were gonna help him, all right? They would go inside, they would actually prepare. One, one would go in and prepare the coals that the incense is gonna burn on. The other one would go in and prepare the, the incense. All three would walk in together and as they walked in, the people started to prepare themselves in prayer, for prayer. And they would walk into this temple, this, this huge, just, you know, solemn place. And they would walk in this one place called the holy, the holy place. It wasn't the holy of holies where only the high priest went, but it was the holy place. These two priests would do their, would, would set up the coals, set up the incense, and then they would leave. And as soon as they walked out the door, the crowd would know that it is time to pray. All right, the crowd would know it's time to pray. And so the whole crowd would start to pray. And then, and then through the years, different scholars would say, well, here's what they're praying, here's what they're praying. Nobody knows what they're praying, all right? And meanwhile, the priest who was offering that incense would take the incense and put it on the coals as he begins to pray. And he's praying for the nation of Israel. And they're praying for the coming Messiah. And they're praying for the oppression, you know, obviously of the Romans, that they would be released from oppression. He's probably quoting scripture, you know, that talks about freedom for Israel. And all this is taking place as he goes in to burn incense. It says, verse 10, that the whole multitude of people were outside at this hour of incense. And, you know, I relate a lot to, like us, we come here for this worship service and we're, and we're singing these amazing songs and we're clapping and we're praying and we're hearing the word. Then what was next? What do you expect when you come here? Why are you even here today? What are you expecting to take place here today? 
Are you expecting God to, to actually say anything to you, to reveal anything in your life? Or are you here for another reason? I don't know. But this is what was happening. And it says, while he was in there, okay, this is crazy. All right, he's in there, he's putting this incense, and the incense offering basically was this smoke was a representative because the smoke rises up of the people's prayers and his prayers. As he represented the people, and as the people outside were praying, this smoke was a representation of the prayers. And it says, you know, that while, you know, it says in verse, where we at? Verse 11, that there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, this was not normal. This wasn't a normal thing. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you were praying, solemnly praying, an angel of the Lord showed up? Some of you might have some stories. It said that he showed up at the right hand of the altar, which basically was this position of favor basically favoring uh, 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 Zechariah, showing that he was favored and that, and that he was, you know, you'll see what it takes place. Let me just move on. It says, and there appeared an angel of the Lord on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, you think, all right? And fear fell upon him. It fell upon me that all of a sudden there's this image and nobody's in there. He knows what's taking place. And you know what? What did this angel look like? I guarantee you it wasn't a naked baby with a bow and arrow. All right. Hey, what's up, Zechariah? I can guarantee it wasn't that. And I guarantee you, you know, it wasn't some just, you know, supermodel. You know what I mean? But I, but I, but I, but I, I, uh, I can almost assure you that it was a very striking image. Some of the images of angels throughout the scriptures are like, whoa, whoa. Don't know if I want to see that. Showed up. And you know that God sent a messenger. Are you afraid to hear from God? Are you ready to hear from God? Do you want to hear from God? When your faith is the finish line, when you think all you have to do is be saved, you probably don't expect to hear from God much. But this angel said to him, verse 13, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have, which means God has been gracious, Yahweh has been gracious. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at, at his birth. He's gonna be great. He, you know, wait a second, remember? Zach and, and, and Elizabeth, older in age, no babies, probably been praying for a lot of years, maybe have given up on the, on the idea they have stories of faith where men and women couldn't have babies, but all of a sudden God blessed them. Maybe they were praying in that manner. Also, who knows? But he said that you're going to have a son, man, and, and, uh, and you're going to name him John. And he's going to be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. This is going to be a special person. This is going to be, you know, uh, there, there's, there's, there's a job for this kid to do right now. And I know some of us question how, you know, filled from the womb, God's going to do whatever he wants to do. You question him. If you want the Holy Spirit, you know what Jesus said? Ask. Ask. But when you ask, remember who you're talking to. 
all right, and who you are that's talking to him. Verse 16 says, he's gonna turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the, uh, to the, wisdom of the just to make ready, all right, the Lord, a people prepared for him. I don't know if you, re- you know this about the scriptures, all right, in the New Testament where we have Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and John, all right, and then at the Old Testament where it ends with Malachi, all right, there's about a 400-year gap where we had no scripture, where we had no prophetic word from God. And the last word that was given in Malachi was this word right here, that he will go in the power and spirit of Elijah, turn their hearts of fathers to their children. So there was a significance that's taking place here. I don't want to challenge you, man. You know what? When people say, I'm not hearing from God, I'm not hearing from God. I always challenge people, man. What did he tell you last? What did God tell you last? When you're not hearing a fresh word from God, it's probably because you're not all about the word he gave you last. Pay attention. And Zechariah said to the angel, well, how am I going to know this? Okay, dude, you got an angel standing right in front of you. All right, bro? I mean, it's like, come on. How am I going to know this? Bro, I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years, all right? And what's crazy when I think about this, how many prayers do you pray that you argue cannot be answered? How many prayers do you pray that you argue cannot be answered? It's really easy to get caught off guard by God when you're stuck in this routine of tradition, and not expectancy. Where your faith is not, is the finish line. And the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you, to bring you this good news. But check this out. You're going to be silent and you're not going to be able to speak until the day that these things take place because you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. He says, look, I'm Gabriel. I stand, I'm, I'm, I hang out with God. All right? You ask, how can you know if these things are going to take place? I, I kick it. With, we just had coffee. Maybe not coffee, but I mean, I hang out. I'm in, I'm in the presence of almighty God all the time. You're in here praying. You're going through this ritual. You're doing these things. Do you not expect to hear from God if you're solemnly, you know, you know uh, honestly, sincerely on your face before God. Do you not, and you might not hear what you want to hear. It doesn't change things. It shouldn't change things. Uh, there was a guy. I don't know if you ever heard this thing called I Am Second, all right? It's this thing that was real popular for a while where... Uh, you know, rock stars and athletes and all different people talk about their, give, give a quick testimony of their faith, all right? And uh, the guy who, who actually started it was named Soju John, all right? Him and his wife had moved here from Calcutta and they moved straight to New York, all right? And uh, just full, full man of faith, just wanted to know how he could, you know, share God more. Well, before I Am Second started, he found himself working at the World Trade Center in 2011, And one morning he's there working and he's just, he's just wondering like, like 
how he could be more effective. He just doesn't feel like he's sharing Jesus enough. And as he was walking to the copy machine, that whole thought process was interrupted by a huge explosion. And the whole place shook. And he was just, the blast just took him out for a while. And as he started coming to, he just started seeing everybody just panicking. And he was seeing these huge fireballs fall down from the upper floors. And he jumped into the, uh, the, into the, uh, the, the stairwell and he's running down the stairwell. And he has his, has his back up against the side going down the stairwell because all these first responders are running to the craziness. He doesn't know. He says it felt like hours before he got down to the bottom. And it wasn't any better. It was just all smoke. You couldn't see anything. And it was insane, man, because he's, a, he's, a, he's all these different people just crying out, just freaking out. And he said, man, I don't even know if they know you, God. You know, this could be the end right here for us. And we, do, they, do we know you? And he, he gathered some of them and he says, man, cry out to Jesus and you'll be saved. And they started crying out to Jesus. They started crying out to God, you know, to save us, you know, and, and repented of their sins. And they started crying out. And then there was another explosion and another drop. And they kind of got separated, all right? And then he started looking for them and he came back and he saw that they were all dead. They all passed away. They were all gone. And he started asking God, whoa, 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 wait, man. We just prayed for you to save us. We just prayed for you to, to deliver us. What happened? They just, I just heard them crying out. And he says, as in the stillness, this is what he said he heard God, stillness. He was crying out to God. And he heard God say, they're with me. They're with me. It don't always happen the way we want it to happen. It don't always go the way we would plan it to go, man. But if our faith is the finish line, then we're not going to make it too far past. I'm glad Sojo didn't because it wasn't a finish line because he ended up to create I am second and I can't tell you how many, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people have been impacted by that ministry. The angel said, I'm, you're not going to be able to handle this, man, so I'm going to cut off your voice. And what's crazy is, Zechariah's unbelief didn't make God take his promise back. Did you notice this? We'll notice this anyways. Um, Zechariah's unbelief didn't make God take his promise back. It just kept Zechariah from enjoying it. When we don't believe God's promises, his real promises for our life, when we, we've come up with so many, we put so many promises in God's mouth that aren't, he's never promised. All right? But when we don't believe his real, true promises for our lives, we don't necessarily destroy the promise. We just destroy our ability to enjoy it. And sometimes the ability to recognize the activation of it in our lives. And so he, he made Zechariah mute and he couldn't even tell of this good news, which is not a problem for a lot of Christians because there's a lot of Christians don't like talking about Jesus anyways. 
Verse 21, the people are outside waiting. They're like tripping. I'm like, what is taking this guy so long, man? And he come out, man, all right? He came out, and it says that when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, right? Just tell them, look, I can't talk, all right? And he remained mute. mute. And they, they were tripping. He, he saw something. And after that, he said he went home, and, and the time of his service was ended, and after these days, his wife conceived, his wife Elizabeth, not immaculate, not, not, the, not the, of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they, they, they this the old-fashioned way. They had a baby, all right? They just, you know, they just trusted the promise. Abraham, and they did that. Anyways, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> right, okay. Um, <laughs> so she conceived, and for five months, and for five months, we get it, thank you. Uh, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus says the Lord, thus the Lord has done for me, not thus says the Lord, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my approach from the people. So she knew she was pregnant. And she said, I'm just gonna get, go away for five months. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna come around people. For, I'm gonna spend five months just dedicating myself to the Lord, dedicating this baby to the Lord, just, just, just relishing, you know, just, you know, worship for the Lord. And she did for five months. And it was crazy. In another month, in, over the next month, that same angel would come and visit Mary. And that same angel would come and visit Joseph and prepare them. And then she would come and visit, and you'll hear about that next week. But it's crazy that all that is taking place, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zachariah after his father, but his mother said, no, his name's gonna be John. And they're tripping, man. They start putting pressure on him. Wait, 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 wait. You ever, have people, you ever know what God's telling you to do and you have people come around pressuring you, telling you, no, you need to do something different. That ain't right. That don't, that don't match. And that's what they do. They say, no, you, you're, you, you know, none of your relatives are named by that. And then this cracks me up. Then they look at the father and they made signs to the father, you know, which he's not deaf, which cracks me up. They, they made signs to the father. What do you want? He's like, I just can't, I can't talk right now. I can hear fine. You know what I mean? You know, it's like they made signs to the father. Why did he want him to be called? And he, he asked for a writing tablet and he said, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosened and he spoke and blessed God. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout the hill country. God had moved and it took a couple who were just sold out and just said, okay, we trust you, God. It looks impossible, but we trust you. And we're gonna just, we're just gonna, we're just gonna sit and worship in that trust. And you're gonna do whatever you do, whatever you wanna do. I'm with you. I'm with you. We're with you. And it made an impact on the whole community. It made an impact. Man, the, all these things were talked about throughout the whole hill country of Judea. Everybody's talking about it. 
Now, this is a good thing for everybody to be talking about. We give a lot of material for everybody to talk about stuff, don't we? Maybe it's time we start giving some good material. If you're going to talk about me anyways, let me give you something to talk about. Amen? Let me give you something real to talk about. Something that, you know what, is at least going to benefit you and your kids. And all who heard them laid them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the Lord was with him. And it's going to get wild. We're going to talk a lot more about all this as we progress. But for now, what is crazy is verse 67 is this huge transitional verse for the people for the world. It says that his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. There hadn't been prophecy for hundreds of years, yet he was ready to be used by God to speak the word of God for the glory of God. And the people were ready to pick it up like they just heard from God yesterday. How does that happen? How does generation after generation after generation after generation after generation not hear directly from God like their whole, like like they've heard stories of, how do they, how are they ready? How are the, your kids, your kids and the kids after and the kids after and the kids after ready to hear from God if nobody's heard from God that whole time? Because we keep the faith alive in our families, in our conversations, around the dinner table, man, and to our children and to our children's children and to their children, we continue to pour out into them, all right, these stories of faith. Let me ask you this. What stories do your, do you know, well, we have a lot of stories we talk about in families. People have been doing this since we have been in existence. We have passed down stories and stories and stories. And I could tell you some of the crazy stories that my family talks about not going to do you no good. All right. And so, but, 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 but man, when we pass down these stories of faith, when I hear stories of my grandparents' faith, it does something different than those other stories. When I hear how real and authentic their walk and their experience in Christ, my grandfather sold out for Christ, used to be a drug dealer. He used to run drugs over the border. Crazy. I didn't find that out till years later, which was probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> but then he gave his life to Christ, and the whole family dynamic changed, and all the stories changed. And whether or not any of the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids ascribed to that faith, they were prepared if God was to move to recognize that that was God. That's our responsibility. Filled with the Holy Spirit, his faith was not his finish line. He says this, this prophecy, and I'll just, I'll end with this, well, almost. Um, 
blessed be the Lord. I'm going to read all the way through this, so stay with me. Just look at the words and listen. I'll, I'll throw a little couple of things in between here. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people in the house of his servant David. Wait a second. He's not from the, from the house of David. His wife isn't from the house of David. This baby is not from the house of David. Well, who's he talking about? Jesus. And Jesus ain't even here yet. He's prophetically speaking. This is how you know this was a word from God. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies. One first kind of salvation that Israel was always looking for. Save us from this present danger. Save us from this present fear. Uh, and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy, promise to our fathers, to, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore our father Abraham, all right, basically saying that your children, your offspring will be a blessing to the nations when you, you know, when you stay with me, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him with, without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days, whether we're hearing from him again or daily or every morning or every evening or we haven't heard from him in 400 years. And then he looks at his baby and he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Our greatest enemy is our own submission to sin. He points out the true enemy. You will give knowledge of salvation. You're gonna prepare the way for Jesus who's coming to save us from our sins. You're gonna help these people recognize that this is what is killing us, our sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun rise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And he says, and this is, this is just the beginning. He says, this child grew up, became strong, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. His faith was not the finish line. Today we hear stories of faith and we think, we hear stories like this, we're like, whoo, glad that's taken, oh, oh, taken care of. Glad I don't have to worry about that. I just need to say that prayer. I just need to walk forward. I just need to do that one thing, all right? Maybe I just need to get wet and get out and dry off. You know what I mean? You know, whatever the case may be. But faith is not the finish line. You gotta think about it in these terms. Think about it. Let me illustrate this and I'll end with this. All right. One day there was a race, and I've shared this with some of you, all right, before. And if and if you remember this, act like you never heard it. All right. And so one day there was a race in this land of, of just drudgery and mundane. All right. Nothing was happening. All we were doing is waiting in lines, spending money, waiting to get more money. That's all we were doing. All right. And there was nothing exciting happening. And we needed something to happen, all right? Something new and something fresh. And then they heard of this race that was coming to town, this race. And it was this race where every, it was going to just you know, create this amazing excitement, amazing purpose, amazing identity, and that people were going to actually recognize and grow stronger if you would join this race and recognize why you're actually here. So the day of the race finally showed up and all these people were excited and they showed up to race and they're doing the things that you do before a race. All right, all right. 
all right, whatever you do, all right, before the race, they're getting ready for the race, all right? And then, and then there's other people that were skeptical. Ah, I don't believe this race is all cracked up to be, and we're just gonna sit here and watch these people fail. And so they just got up in the bleachers and watched them fail. These other, so these other people, they, they're in the race, and they're waiting on the starting line, and they're getting ready, and the gun goes ready to go off. Mark, get set, go, bam, it goes off, boom, they take off, and then a strange thing happens. Everyone on the starting line crosses the starting line and then stops. They take a couple of steps and they stop and they start looking at each other. Some of them start crying. I can't believe we're in the race. We're totally in the race. Can you believe we're in the race? Somebody went around high-fiving. We're totally in the race. We're in the race. Other people gathered around in a praying circle. Thank you, God, that we're in this race. This is an amazing race. Some people say, we should write a song about this race. Let's write a song and we'll sit there and we'll just pray about this race. All right? Other people said, get your calendars out. We're gonna meet once a week and talk about this race. We need to do that. But nobody's running. Meanwhile, the people in the bleachers are looking at the people going, what is wrong with these people? And somebody says, well, if they're not gonna run, I'm gonna run. Me too. And they don't even get dressed for the race. They just come down and jump in. And they start running. And as they're running, they're growing. And they're starting to feel more sense of identity and more sense of purpose. They start becoming stronger and they start becoming more happy and they start recognizing that this race, as they go, they don't get tired. They actually become more stronger and fulfilled. Let me ask you this. What does it look like when you cross the finish line, the starting line of your faith? What does it look like for you when you gave your life to Christ? Did you stop? Or did you continue to run? No matter what you heard from God, like if you haven't heard from him a long time, you're gonna run until you hear it again and you're gonna run on what he told you last. You see, there's more to this story. There's so much more to this story. And guess what? You are the more of the story. I love what Pastor Nick says in 2017. I have this quote from our little homeboy. Here's what he said. Let today be the day, all right, that we take this home and we live this out. No longer are we just gonna listen to a good sermon or scripture that rocks and then then go home and say, well, that's not comfortable. Today, we put our foot down and say, today, we're gonna be the church. We're gonna go change this mountain. We're gonna go change the culture of an entire city. We have the spirit of God on our side and there's nothing impossible when you have the Spirit of God living inside you. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Faith is the starting line. Let's get started. Amen? I want to challenge you this week. Take the scripture that we just read, Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 25, verse 57 through 80. I want you to get somebody, I want you to get somebody, anybody talking with them about this. And I want you to challenge them with three questions. Are you ready? Three questions right here. Number one, what did it mean then? These are the disciples' study questions. You should write these down. When reading scripture, you should challenge these questions all the time. What did it mean then? Number two, what does it mean now? What does it mean now? 
Number three, what does it require of me? 